Welcome to Geekish Cast, episode number 168. Uh, Norm Harper from Karate Pet Shop, a.k.a. Karate Pet Shop Comics, will be joining us. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor to get to know him. Hey everybody, your host Jeremy here. Thank you for tuning back in to Geekish Cast. Uh, joining us today from Karate Pet Shop is Norm Harper. How you doing, Norm? I'm good, Jeremy. How are you? I am doing quite well. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I know we're into the holiday season now, so uh, timing is of a premium. So how are things going over at Karate Pet Shop? Uh, things are going uh, really well, uh, and thank you, uh, by the way, for having me. Yeah, Karate Pet Shop, we're really doing great. Uh, Ricky, uh, our first graphic novel we released uh, last year was nominated for an Eisner this year. We've got uh, Knotted List and Tap Water and Tuna Party, Tap Water and Tuna Party also, and uh, our new book, Hap Haven, we just finished, uh, is, is going to be released soon. We're still working on the, the details on that. We're chugging along, and, and people seem to really re- respond well to our titles, and um, so we're really excited. Oh, that's great. So um, at Karate Pet Shop, you act as writer, publisher, and editor for the titles that you guys publish, or, you know, some varying degree of one or the other each from the titles you publish. Yes. So I have to ask, at what point in your life did you get turned on to comic books, and what was the comic book? The the thing that uh, turned me on to comics, ironically, was not a comic at all. It was, uh, I remember... In sixth grade, the Marvel trading card trading card set hit uh, and just took us all by storm. And, and uh, we started buying packs of those and, and looking for holograms and trying to feel the pack to determine if, you know, those chase cards were in there and stuff. And that's – it was buying those cards like at the drugstore that got me to walk into a comic book store for the first time. And that's what really uh, did me in was uh, being introduced to all those Marvel characters through that trading card set. That's pretty cool. What was your what was your favorite card? What was your go to card in that set? Um, it, like any of the holograms, like I, I had to have those. Uh, it did, didn't even matter who was who was on the the card. But then uh, I really fell in love with the X Men. Like once I got into the store, and uh, I collected all the X titles. Um, yeah, through the '90s uh, up until about the time that I graduated high school and went to college and had no money anymore. Well, that'll that'll bring a lot of hobbies to a close. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I didn't even think about it, but I forgot one of the things that got me back into comics after years of not being into them was the DC universe where you'd have like a golden age Superman, a silver age Superman and a modern age Superman. And each one was a separate card. Yeah. That, yeah. that was kind of a fun set too. So when you were a big X-Men fan. Uh, yeah, I was uh, back in the day. What was, do you remember like a favorite run or anything that, that you really enjoyed in the X-Men, a favorite you know, a, a issue or a set of issues? The thing I find myself revisiting more, more often is the Peter David run on X-Factor. They started like working for the government and okay. uh, it, it was such a, a nice twist on uh, the whole mutant uh, storyline and, and uh, he was using a bunch of characters that like, you know, even though I'd been in in that universe for a couple of years like i you know i knew who havoc was but like uh strong guy and and multiple man i was like who are these guys and and uh you know he's got he's such a great writer that uh that was really the standout book at that time and uh, i go back to that a lot yeah a lot of peter david's work really holds up over the over the years as time passes some stuff ages not well and his seems to hold up pretty well yeah 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 all right, so how did you get, where did the IT idea from you, for you, come from to create a line and start publishing comics or try to get a comic published? How did that come about? Back in high school, that was like my dream. I actually, I wanted to be a, a comic artist and uh, I, I drew a lot and just didn't, knew I didn't have the chops, like the raw talent for that. So um, 
I was fortunate my junior year of high school, I got to uh, participate in an independent study mentorship program where the school would pair you up with somebody who had the job that uh, you wanted to do. And you'd spend a semester, um, you know, kind of under their wing. And this was in San Antonio, where I grew up, where uh, Antarctic Press is based. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they've been doing um, a is lot that, of Monica. Is that Ben Dunn's company? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And um, so I, I was fortunate enough to get paired up with uh, Herb Millette over there. He was the editor-in-chief at the time. And I, so I'd go in um, like every Monday afternoon, and we would just talk comic book writing. I learned a lot from doing that. But that, that was all pre-internet, so finding artists to collaborate with and stuff. Uh, was was a lot harder. So I, I learned a lot about the the form, and I really kind of realized like I want to be a writer, but I, I didn't have the ability to to go out and make a comic because I couldn't find anyone to draw it. So I moved on to other kinds of writing for several years, probably like a a little over a decade. I was at WonderCon. This was probably 2013, and my wife and I went in to see a panel. I don't even remember what the panel was supposed to be, but Whoever it was, they didn't show up. I think it was like a cartoon voice cast or something. And so the the whole audience is sitting there, and, and there were two people in the crowd, uh, Nat Gertler and, oh, an artist whose name I'm blanking on right now. But they, they stood up, and they were like, well, does anybody want to hear about self-publishing comics while we wait for this other panel to show up? And we were like, yeah, go for it. And they gave, like, this impromptu panel on self-publishing. And I, I looked at my wife, and I was like, we can do that, like – so uh, Ricky Tiki Tavi was a story that I had always uh, loved from the Chuck Jones cartoon, and I had always wanted sort of a feature film version of it. And uh, I, I kind of took that spark and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like a Ricky Tiki Tavi graphic novel. And, and she was really supportive, so we, we went out. We found an artist, uh, Matthew Fultzgrace, who we ended up uh, selecting after placing ads on a lot of different places. And, uh, yeah, and then we just dove in and um, – it's worked out okay, but uh, that that's really where the the uh, genesis of it all came from. Okay. Do you mind if we kind of focus on how you found an artist there for a minute? Because I know Absolutely. for a lot of people who write or want to write a comic, they have no idea where to get an artist. And I've actually done whole episodes about this, but I'm mm-hmm. always interested to find out where a writer found them. Do you remember uh, where were some of the places you advertised? How did you go about trying to find an artist? Uh, I, I put ads on a lot, lot of uh, message boards and, and things devoted to art. I did uh, digitalwebbing.com. I did conceptart.org, I think is what it was. And then I found Matthew actually on uh, freelanced.com or freelancer.com. I, for, I forget which. Um, and and Matthew actually responded like that day. Like I, the, the ad had only been up for like three hours or something, and, and Matt's work came in. And I told my wife like, this is the guy. And she was like, you know, calm down. Yeah, it's only like, you know, three hours old. Give it a week. And uh, we waited for other, um, yeah, other people to submit. And uh, yeah, I was still sold on Matthew, so uh, we went to him. And there was a little bit of a scheduling issue, but I was willing to wait for him, so we let him finish up uh, the work that he had on his plate, and then we started up. And now um, the artists I've found since then, uh, the naughty list Christopher Tupai found because I was just a, a fan of his. I, I bought some art prints from him from his website. Uh, I think Flickr is where I originally saw his artwork. Um, and then uh, for Hap Haven, uh, Louis Joyce was our artist. He's a very talented guy out of Australia. 
and uh, him I found on Twitter. And that's that's what I do now mostly is is people retweet an artist's work. Like if you're an artist, like just post your work to Twitter constantly. And I just follow people that I love their artwork. And if I'm looking for an artist, then I, I dive back into who I follow on Twitter and uh, and then shoot them a message from there. That's pretty cool. I mean, did, overall, have you had a pretty positive experience looking for artists? Yeah, yeah. Um, I find uh, most artists are, uh, you know, even, even if they can't do the work, they're, um, you know, they're flattered to be asked and, and they will communicate with you. And uh, on uh, a couple of projects, um, some of which, you know, have not uh, fully come to pass yet. But, uh, I, you know, I've reached out to people that have worked, you know, with Image and DC and, and things like that. Uh, you know, shooting for the moon and, and hoping, you know, I can get them. And, uh, you know, I find that even people I don't even expect to write me back. Well, yeah, they'll, you know, they're, they're happy, you know, to be considered. And, and uh, you can start at least start a dialogue, even if they don't have uh, have it in their schedule or anything like that to, to do the work. So it's been um, very, uh, I would say, rewarding just just reaching out to artists and, and having that dialogue, because that right when you're when you're doing any comics and you're kind of stuck, you know, in your hole all alone, you know, writing something, uh, then just having that dialogue with artists feels like progress and it can be, it can be really great. And, uh, I would agree with you. Cause I often reach out to people that I think, you know, for the podcast, uh, mm -hmm. that I think, Oh, they're, just, they're never even going to get back to me. And then, you know, in a lot of cases they've come on or some just because they're busy, they haven't been able to, but they say, Hey, in the next year, I promise to do it. So Sometimes when you're feeling a little bit let down by something and even just say, hey, I got your got your Twitter. I'll get back to you when I can kind of boys the spirit a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. And I that feels like the whole comic industry as a whole, like uh, other industries I've I've done some writing in or attempted to do some writing in. You can feel like completely like, you know, shut out and alone. But the comic industry, the people that that are really drawn to the, the form for whatever reason, tend to be just the nicest people. And uh, I, I love being in this world. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Norm, what if if I can ask, and if you don't want to answer, that's fine. What do you do, or what did you do to make money before you started getting into indie, indie comics? Uh, my day job before I, I went uh, indie comics full-time was I worked in uh, Blu-ray and DVD quality control. So uh, I worked for a company that uh, a studio would make a movie, then they would hire a company to author their home video release and then it would come to us and we would make sure that if you wanted to watch the audio commentary it didn't accidentally play the spanish audio dub or something like that and my job was compiling reports of all the bugs that we found and uh sending those to the studio and uh yeah wow well yeah. for young for younger listeners blu-ray and dvd was <laughs> was how we used to watch movies a few years ago yeah, um so I, I said, this format is dying. I'm going to move to print. <laughs> yeah. Pit and paper. That's, that's where the future is. Yes. Oh, God. I do worry about that sometimes. What do you think about digital comics? Um, I am a fan of digital comics in theory. I find I don't read them as often as I wish I did. Uh, but I love that the formats exist. Like Comixology Submit. Um, you know, is now it, you know, like the, the kid that I was in high school that wanted to make comics, you know, that forget that I couldn't find an artist. Even if I found an artist, I'd have no way to, you know, really show it to anybody except maybe right. you know, producing an ash can and handing it out at school. And the idea that, that now, you know, 
anybody, almost anybody can be on a major platform that, you know, everyone goes to, to read comics on. Uh, it, it's, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, I, w I, I don't feel that that detracts from, uh, the, the prints medium as much as I think some people might be scared that it does. Most people I know that really use any digital comic reading service kind of use it to back up their print collection so they don't have to handle it as much or so that they can have stuff, you know, to read when they're on an airplane or something like that, but they still go and they buy the book if they really love it. So I, I think it's actually a, a really uh, wonderful compliment to the print industry in comics specifically and the, the very specific culture that the comic industry is. Yeah, there, there's always a few things. Like, I, I have thought digital comics were going to be the way of the future for a while. The problem is is that some books I want a physical copy of. Yeah. Um, but others, like last night I was flipping through uh, Meta Barons by Hodorowski, and it's, you know, it's 600 pages. I'd sure love to have that in a light-bodied, easy-to-read format where I didn't feel like I was going to break my arm while going sure, through it. Sure, sure. And then the other thing I think is you bring up comicsology and you kind of see this across the board, music, movies, web series, the bar to entry for an artist trying to get something out now is much lower than it's ever been. You mm -hmm. can, you can make anything now, but it also kind of screws up the signal to noise ratio. Um, like a friend of mine up in Canada said one time, yeah, there's a lot more stuff out there, but it also increases the amount of shit you have to go through to get to something good. Have you, have you noticed this at all? Or do you yeah, think it's I, a good thing? I, I I would be hesitant in saying, um, you know, that it increases the amount of, of of shit. I think, you know, art is subjective. And, and you know, certainly there, there's some stuff out there that just, you know, isn't reaching a certain uh, level that, that, you know, maybe those artists needed, you know, to to – refine their craft a little more before they, they put their work out there. But uh, I, I think the, the big problem is that it all just becomes noise. And even, even now that there's so much more out there that's good, like it is hard to hear about it or, you know, cause the, uh, the other thing is, you know, social media being like a, a platform for marketing, but it, it just becomes noise. It's like, everyone's got a comic. So I'm, uh, you, you, you don't pay as much attention to the announcement of a comic. You know what I mean? Um, and you, you need word of mouth and, and reviews and things like that. To, at least that's how I sort of, uh, zero in on what I'm actually going to end up reading. Yeah. Uh, that it's the promotion that I think is the bigger problem than just the amount of content, because I, I think there's a lot of, lot of good stuff out there that wouldn't be out there, uh, without the digital options. And, uh, and even, even like when you talk about like web series and stuff, there's so much great comedy, um, on YouTube or, or uh, film reviewers on YouTube that I enjoy that wouldn't have uh, a platform otherwise uh, just because of their particular voices, you know, not being marketable enough or, or anything like that. And uh, so I, I think it's a wonderful thing that everyone has access to, um, to some kind of platform and it, it just becomes hearing about it, you know, and, yeah. and everything not blending together into just noise. Right. Well, that's that's kind of going to bring me to another question here. I got to talk to Kevin Eastman a few weeks ago, and oh, I, wow. dis I discovered when they did Mutant Ninja Turtles originally, they put out press releases, which most people who were going to do an indie comic at the time wouldn't even have thought of, right? Mm -hmm. Their press release got picked up by the AP back in the day, 
And so all of a sudden, every newspaper was carrying a story about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's fantastic. Yeah, I would never even have thought of it. Um, what have you done, or what are some tricks that you've picked up that maybe other indie publishers could use to help get word out about their work? Because, like, you and I met at um, the Alternative Press Expo in San Jose. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of conventions now. So, I mean, that's obviously obviously one. So if you want to talk a little bit about your you know convention experiences, that'd be cool. But also just other methods you've used to get the word out about your books. Yeah, um... Conventions are great, and I, I am a terrible marketer. Like, like full stop. Uh, social media is not something that I enjoy on a personal level, so I, I don't participate on you know as a as just a human being. So as a company, I find it very hard to remember. Like, oh yeah, I got to go post about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do make an effort, but it's just it, it's not second nature to me like it is for a lot of creators. Um, so my the best stuff I find is, is in-person at cons and um, then um, reaching out for reviews. Uh, Comic Bastards has been uh, very nice to us. Uh, Women Write About Comics had a great review of Ricky. Uh, things like that where you just email like, hey, I've got a book. I'd love for you to take a look at it. Um, and, and that sort of like third party, uh, so, someone else talking about your book as I feel stronger online than, than you just saying, Hey, check out my book or check out my Kickstarter. You know, if you read about a Kickstarter and bleeding cool, you're more likely to kick, to click through than uh, if it's just somebody on Twitter saying like, Hey, I need some money. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, that, nobody's ever sent me money because I said I needed it on Twitter. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, getting, getting that third party, reaching out to, to sources that, that will talk about it for you uh, has been, I think, uh, the strongest thing for us. And then just in-person interaction at cons, people getting a chance to, to look through the book. I find with any comics, that's a big, big deal. People want to hold it in their hand and, and go like, Oh, the print quality on this is great. Like they want to flip through it and look at the art, like through the whole book. And, and then they, uh, I find, um, this selling it to them becomes a lot easier when they, when they've got the physical product and they, they can see what you're putting out there. Oh, and yeah. uh, the thing about conventions is I, you know, I, I do a lot of conventions in Southern California and you feel like you're like, oh, it's my third WonderCon. Like, who's going to come to WonderCon that hasn't heard of me before, you know, or hasn't seen the booth and walked past it and decided it's not for them? Um, but you you realize, like, the more you do it, it's there's just so many people um, that uh, you you can do a con four or five years in a row, and you're always someone is always going to be discovering you for the first time, you know. So you can't let you you got to just keep putting yourself out there uh, on that con circuit and um, you know, give people that opportunity to find you because conventions are so large and there's so uh, there's so much to see and do that even even people that are going to the same con years in a row uh, haven't seen everything that's going to be on that floor. So. Oh yeah, I can I can certainly say I've gone to even small cons two three years in a row and still find new people new new uh, tables that have been mm-hmm. there every time for me to go check out. And sometimes people have seen your table, you know, two or three times, and that's finally what it takes for them to come over. And, and they say, like, I've seen you around. Like, I'm going to look at the book now. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I find those in-person uh, cons, store signings are, are really um, where our books do the best. Uh, so I, I enjoy that quite a lot. I always think the personal touch carries a lot more weight than any other way to get the work out, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're there and, like, Norm is handing you his comics saying, hey, check this out. What do you think? You know? Yeah. Give us a yeah. shot. That's, I, that's what everybody has. Like, 
And uh, our book, Tap Water and Tuna Party, uh, I'm just the publisher on it, you know, and I, I helped edit the book. But uh, I, 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 that's ar arguably that's the best book that we make. And uh, I'll hand it to people, and and they'll say, Oh, did you did you write this? Did you draw it? Like, no, I just published it, but it's a great book. And they go like, Oh, because they they want they want to connect with the artist, so they'll end up buying one of the other books that I, I had a creative hand in. And um, the people really enjoy that to, to meet the person and to, to connect with them on that level. Yeah, absolutely. Norm, I'll tell you what, uh, Ollie the Greyhound has just been brought into the room, so he must be outside barking. That's why my wife put him in here. So this might be a good chance for us to uh, take a quick promotional break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the books you have published. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for uh, sticking in through our break there. This is, again, is your host, Jeremy. And joining me this week is Norm Harper from Karate Pet Shop. So, Norm, uh, before the break, we were going to talk a little bit about your books that you've published. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm going to go down a list here, and you can tell us a little bit about them and what, what you did on them and what they're about, okay? Fantastic. So the first one I've got here is The Naughty List. Yes. Which seems appropriate since Christmas is coming. Yes. That is our, uh, our Christmas-themed uh, rhyming picture book about a young boy uh, who has to misbehave in order to save Christmas. A young boy named Franklin McScotty uh, never misbehaves. He's very, very good little boy, and, and that's just – it comes naturally to him. And so every year Santa lands at his house and leaves him a ton of toys. Uh, so some unscrupulous gentlemen get – you know, they, they realize, hey, Santa lands at that kid's house every year. It's a guarantee. So if we wait outside his house on Christmas Eve and Santa lands, we can ambush Santa, hold him for ransom. Uh, so when Franklin gets wind of their plot, he says, I've got to keep Santa from landing in my house. So he starts misbehaving, uh, starts off small, doing the little things that all, you know, children are guilty of. He eats his dessert before dinner. He wipes his nose on his sleeve. And uh, slowly his misdeeds get larger and larger and larger until uh, it's just comical supervillain style um, chaos. That sounds amazing. Thank you. Uh, um, now, who, who wrote and what was the creative team on this book? Uh, I wrote that, and uh, Christopher Tupa was the illustrator. And uh, that was actually uh, – it was the first book we released. It came out October 2015, uh, but we started it after we had begun work on Ricky. Um, Ricky was a really big project, and I realized uh, that I didn't know how to print a book. I'd never done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had this, this poem sitting around that, that just fell into my head one day, um, almost like fully formed. And it was very weird cause it's not, uh, a form that I have ever attempted before. It was just a funny thing that made me laugh and I, I wrote it down. And so I was talking to my wife, like how we're, we're doing the self-publishing thing, but we don't know what we're doing. Maybe we should start with something that's a little easier and, and make all our mistakes there. And then Ricky will be better for it. So uh, we got out the poem and uh, we hired Christopher, who, like I said, uh, I, I'd already uh, found his work uh, and bought some prints from him. And I wrote him an email and said, hey, would you be interested in, in doing some pages for this rhyming kids book? And he, he was totally into it. So uh, we set about doing that. And uh, we brought the naughty list out uh, like October 2015. Uh, and made uh, we made some mistakes there. I learned a lot, but I think overall the book came out uh, really strong. I, I still think that uh, it's hilarious. Uh, Christopher's artwork is wonderful, and uh, it remains a, a pretty strong seller for us. Even uh, sometimes, it, you know, in the summer at conventions, because it's uh, people are just really drawn to the concept and to Christopher's art, and uh, it does pretty well. 
Yeah, to me, it sounds like a really strong concept. I love the sound. Just the idea of the story behind it is pretty cool. Um, now, is that available on Amazon, or how, how can people get a hold of that one? Naughty List is on Amazon. They have one copy left right now. Oh, gee willikers. Okay. So go order it, so they'll, they'll ask me for restock. Um, it's also available. Uh, all of our books are available on our website, uh, karatepetshop.com. There's a Shopify store link uh, that you can uh, go to and order anything from us there, too. And you know, uh, if you have a copy of the Naughty List, there's a free read-along audio that you can download from our website. Kind of uh, nostalgic throwback to the the old like read-along cassettes I grew up with. Do you use the same binging sound to turn the page? Uh, we that... do not have the, the bing sound for the page, unfortunately. Darn it. Because that's yeah. the sound I miss. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I really considered it, uh, and I, I did find it like online, but then uh, I couldn't clear the uh, – or I couldn't uh, – I couldn't be sure that it was a, a sound that I could use or if it belonged to some publisher still, you know. I'll bet money uh, somebody still owns that one. Yeah, so we, yeah. we opted to, to leave it out and just uh, just go with a, a, a friend of mine that does audiobooks professionally uh, read the book for us. and That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, so where does the name Karate Pet Shop come from? Karate Pet Shop, uh, my wife and I used to live near a shopping center that had a, a, you know, a number of businesses in it, including a karate dojo and a pet store. And so there was this big sign out by the street that was just one word descriptions of all the stores that were in. So it would, it would be like, um, you know, laundry and, um, and then karate and pet shop and everything was in a different kind of like sign font with a different color, except for karate and pet shop, which used the same, uh, font and color and we're like right on top of each other so they look like they were one store the karate pet shop in with laundry and food and, and everything else that was on that sign and so we'd drive past and we joke like oh we should go shopping at the karate pet shop yeah. and when it came time to, to need a company name they just uh, pulling out our, our little in joke and, and making that a real thing felt uh, most appropriate that that seems worthwhile. A, a place where you could take your cobra to learn mongoose style kung fu, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. 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 There you go. Um, all right. So let's get to your next book on the list. Oh, that's actually appropriate. Uh, so you've got Ricky, which mm -hmm. is, of course, a take on the Ricky Ticky Tavi by Rudyard Kipling. Yes. Which you said is the thing that got you to want uh, to publish a book, right? Yeah. That was um, that was a story that, like I said, I, I fell in love with as a child uh, thanks to the Chuck Jones cartoon. I'd watch that a couple times a year back in elementary school. Uh, you know, the, the cartoon's only about 22 minutes long, and mm -hmm. so if it was, like, raining too hard for recess or something like that, they'd wheel in the old VCR cart, and they would just show us that cartoon to give us a break um, instead of letting us go outside. And I would just sit there, like, in awe, not just of the cartoon, but of, like, you know, the, the whole idea of a cobra versus mongoose, like, you know, being a real, like, animal rivalry, like cat and mouse or cat and dog, but, but these kind of being the only pop culture representations of this of this battle. And, uh, I wanted, you know, like the Don Bluth version. I wanted two hours of it. I didn't want the cartoon to end after 22 minutes. That would and have been an amazing Don Bluth cartoon. I, I, yeah, I right. thought about great. that. Yeah. Um, so when I got to adulthood and I kind of realized that like no one else had ever done anything with that story other than Chuck Jones. Um, it was, it was something that I had in the back of my mind as something I wanted to do one day. And when we decided that we could uh, self-publish comics, uh, it felt um, natural, not just because I had a passion for the story, but because 
as an indie creator, having, uh, you know, some kind of known quantity attached to our book would, you know, be very helpful. And it, it has proven to be. Uh, but the most important thing, I think, was that I, I was passionate about telling a version of that story that, uh, you know, had been with me for so long. So that's uh, that was what sparked that. Cool. So now you wrote that and who did the um, who did the art again? That's Matthew Fultzgray did the art on that. And um, that was about two years of Matt's life. We uh, I said we hired him in the summer of 2013 and we gave him uh, some time to finish up the projects he was committed to. And it was almost to the day, two years. He started in uh, January 2014 and we got the final files from him uh, December 2015, like right at the end of the year. Wow. Uh, yeah. Now, is that one available on Amazon? That one is also on Amazon um, and also on the Karate Pet Shop store. And that's actually also available on Comixology um, in two forms. Before the print version came out, we sort of broke it up into, into five chapters, which you can buy individually on Comixology. And then we also have the collected version um, on Comixology as well, which I think reads better. It, uh, it was sort of artificially broken up. Um, and there's a very long story behind why we did that that isn't particularly interesting. But I think it works better uh, as the complete story. Um, awesome. Hey, yeah. so I have to, I have to ask, since that was really the book where you decided that, hey, we can self-publish. When mm -hmm. you first got a print copy of that book in your hand, how did that feel? Uh, when the when the first proof came in uh, from the printer, uh, I cried a little bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's, that's not an yeah. abnormal story I get from people either. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was, I was unprepared, even though, you know, I, at that point it was, uh, it was three years of my life. Cause I, I went about, you know, writing it, um, before, uh, we hired Matthew and then, uh, you know, letting Matthew finish up his work and then Matthew starting on his art. And it had been, um, it had just become a regular part of my life to devote, you know, a couple hours of my day to, to getting Ricky, you know, finished. And, when the when it came in and I was like I'm done like I don't have to it, it was I imagine what it must feel like like when your child goes off to college or something you know it's just like this is complete and I've made this thing and and now it's time for it to face the world it was uh it was really intense I was unprepared just push the baby out of the nest yeah yeah but it's but it's performed well for you it's got a um, an Iser nomination mm-hmm it's mm -hmm. now is it so you, is it one of your top sellers out of the, the the books you have it is yeah it is absolutely uh our biggest seller by a, a wide margin yeah that's amazing that's really cool i got to flip through that at uh the alternative press expo it's a really nice looking book thank you yeah uh looked really cool uh so this is one i wasn't when i was going through your list of stuff you've done tap water and tuna party mm -hmm. a odd name yes yeah. Also, be odd critter living in this book too. Yes, that's uh, uh, Mumford. Yes, tell us a bit about Tapwater and Tuna Party and Mumford, if you would. Sure. Tapwater and Tuna Party is a collection of the first year of a, a newspaper comic strip called Spirit of the Staircase, and that's actually uh, written and drawn by Matthew Fultzgray that uh, did the artwork on Ricky for us. We're about halfway through Ricky, and just. Um, you know, casually, Matthew came to me and said, hey, look at this uh, comic strip that I'm getting to do for my local paper. And they, they had just given him a space. Uh, the paper came out weekly, the Knoxville Mercury, and they had just given him space to do whatever he wanted. So these were characters he'd drawn for a long time. Matthew uh, or Matt and Mumford are the, the two main stars of the strip. 
And uh, he sent me probably the first 30 strips and I fell in love with it. And I, uh, I asked him like, you know, what, what's your commitment with the paper? Like, do they own it? And he's like, no, it's mine. And I said like, you know, I love this. I want to do a book collection. Like when you have a year's worth done. And, uh, so it's the story of, of Matt, Matt and Mumford. Matt is a regular guy, uh, in his twenties and Mumford is this fuzzy little ball of optimism, uh, that falls into his life. He's, he does have a specific, uh, species designation, but Matthew's swarming to secrecy. So I can't tell you what Mumford is, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, uh, they're best friends that have opposing personalities and hijinks ensue. Uh, the, the title Tapwater and Tuna Party comes from uh, a run of strips in the middle of the book where uh, Mumford wants to throw a wine and cheese party but uh, doesn't have the funds for wine or cheese. And so it slowly evolves into a tapwater and tuna party. And so I thought that was a, a perfect title for the for the humor of the strip. It really uh, if you know the strip, then it's it's a perfect title. If you don't know the strip, you you look at the book and you raise an eyebrow and you go, "What is that?" <laughs> and um, but yeah, it's just it's a fantastic strip. It's uh, Matt, his artwork is is incredible. He's Matt's a genius, and um, the strip is in a lot of ways autobiographical, even though it's got a lot of magical realism to it. And sometimes it's laugh out loud funny. Sometimes it's just like heartwarming and touching and. I think it's always relatable, and it really is is not like almost anything else I've seen, uh, at least not in a long time. Uh, it, it's a lot of uh, Bloom County influence, a lot of uh, Calvin and Hobbes, um, uh, cul-de-sac, if you're familiar with that strip. Uh, those are, you know, a lot of Matt's major influences, and uh, he just, he produced, I think it's a work of art. And I can't say enough about the strip. And I recommend everyone, uh, if, if you don't buy our book, at least go to gocomics.com. Uh, they now, the Knoxville Mercury has unfortunately closed since Matthew started the strip, but gocomics.com hosts the strip now. You can read it. Uh, and it's, it's incredible. That's really cool. The, uh, the comic strip, the newspaper comic strip as it existed is almost a lost art form at this point. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a shame because it really was, they were a jewel of storytelling and brevity as as a form of wit. Mm-hmm. Uh, even I mean, going back to the earliest days of you know the half uh, half page you know Flash Gordon strips, but even just stuff like um, Bloom County, which is one of my all time favorites. It's, yeah, it's, and really. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that you know I think you know when we talked earlier about like how I got into comics and you know, uh, the, there's a default to sort of say like oh the the first time I went to a comic book store and I picked up a superhero book, but. You know, the only reason I could follow the language of the X-Men comics once I found them was because, you know, I'd been reading comics in the newspaper, you know, my entire life. And, you know, Garfield and Peanuts and, uh, you know, even High and Lois and everything like that. That is, I think, most people's first real comic, at least, you know, of a certain age. And uh, I, I really I miss uh, having that regular connection with characters like that. There's a lot of web comics I read now, but you know, it's not the same thing as picking up that whole comic section on a Sunday morning and sitting down with that. Oh, absolutely. See, I'm a, I'm a big Flash Gordon collector. I've got a lot of the original comic strips from the uh, 30s and 40s. And as a matter of fact, I even have a half-sleeve tattoo on my arm that's uh, classic Flash Gordon stuff. Oh, wow. So I, I, I kind of love that old-school style of storytelling, you know, cliffhangers and crazy uh, retro future stuff to me. But also just the, the ability to tell a story in that limited space. Yeah. 
Yeah, to me is amazing. So, uh, what was it like to just be a publisher, or I guess editor and publisher on this one? How did how did you adapt to that role since your other two books were ones you had written? Uh, it was actually really um, it was really great. First of all, that that I had the collaborative history with Matthew from working on Ricky. Uh, so I, I knew him, I, I knew, uh, you know, his style and, and I could, um, I could make suggestions for the book that I thought, you know, lent themselves to him and we, we didn't have to get to know each other, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he knew that any suggestion that I was making, uh, you know, he knew where I would be coming from in, in terms of, you know, why I would make a suggestion and, and that I wasn't just, you know, trying to destroy his art that I was really, you know, trying to help present it in the best light possible and and that kind of thing and uh i got really because i think you know every artist but but certainly myself you know there's there's a little bit of uh oh god is anyone gonna like this like am i making a huge mistake you know even if you are proud of the work you've done there there's that nagging voice in the back of your head and with tap water and tuna party i didn't have any of that because it wasn't uh it wasn't my work it was just something that i was genuinely already a fan of and so it was nothing but excitement to, to help bring it into the world. I'm, I'm sure Matthew, you know, struggled with a little bit of the old, you know, artistic uh, self-loathing. But uh, I had none of that on that book. So uh, that was absolutely one of the most fun experiences I've had uh, just putting it together because I knew it was going to be wonderful no matter what, you know. Yeah. And your ego's not tied up into it. So you, I bet you feel a little bit freer doing it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of cool, yeah. Um, All right, Norm, and then the other one you've got listed here. I understand this hasn't come out yet, but the hook on this, I told it to my wife, and she she loved it. But Hap Haven is a book you have coming out. Yes. Uh, I I do want to do a quick setup for it just because I enjoyed it so much. But a little girl does step on a crack and break her mother's back, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Yes. Tell us about Hap Haven. The Hap Haven uh, story of a... uh... Alex Mills, a 13-year-old girl who steps on a crack and does, in fact, break her mother's back and then must travel to the magical world from which all superstitions draw their power, the, the world of Haphaven, uh, in order to retrieve a rabbit's foot to save her mother. And that uh, we just finished up. I, I wrote that. Again, uh, the artwork is uh, by Louis Joyce. And uh, on that one, um, I had a, a friend of mine, Christopher Meyer, who is a, a – freelance comic editor come in and help me out uh, because it was uh, it was a lot of world building and, and the fantasy rules and, and I needed a, a sounding board somebody to, to you know help me make sure the story was was coming across and everything like that and then I should mention actually uh, Oceano Ransford uh, was the letter on that and Ricky um, full credit to him so uh, we've just finished that up and uh, the the details of the release are to be determined but um, we're super excited about it, and I think it's going to be a really terrific book. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. I notice a lot of your books are kid-friendly or kid-friendly-ish. Is that an mm-hmm. effort you, you did consciously or just something that's come about? Yeah, that's that's uh, kind of our mission statement with Karate Pet Shop is to do um, all-ages books that the grown-up geek can share with their next generation. Um, and that's just sort of as I developed as a writer, you know, I – I grew up wanting to do the superhero books and everything, but I found uh, my voice lent itself particularly well. And, and really the stuff that, that I love, that I truly love, um, Jim Henson, Pixar, uh, that kind of thing. So I, I 
I tend towards that kind of thing and the stuff that I write. And um, so, yeah, those are the kind of books I want to make. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, like I said, I flipped through a couple of them. They look pretty good. Um, it must be an amazing thing that you, you had this plan, you set it in action, and it seems like you're actually getting somewhere. I mean, how how have you enjoyed or, you know, what are your thoughts about self-publishing and about the journey you've been on? Uh, I think I think self-publishing is, is really, really rewarding. Um, the journey is... It's it's only kind of in hindsight that you can look back and go like oh yeah we are we are getting somewhere because every day, you know you're wondering about, you know am I going to cover my costs on this convention that's coming up or you know, am I, you know are we are we doing the right things and and you can get really um, get lost in the in the moment to moment aspects of of running the company and then you you step back and you you realize, oh, wow, like Ricky, you know, was Eisner nominated or we uh, somebody just posted online that their child did a book report on the naughty list for school because they love it so much. Or um, you, you get those those little moments that that, um, that really make it you know worthwhile. But it it's sometimes hard to see the full picture uh, because self-publishing is is very, very hard. Uh, I won't lie. It's super rewarding, but it's um it can be a slog. And um, so, yeah, some, I, I guess uh, my answer is just that uh, I don't always recognize that we've had the success that we have, um, but that's what keeps me getting up and, and trying to do even more every day. So That's really cool. Now, if you were approached by a younger person who is contemplating self-publishing, mm-hmm. what would be some advice that you, uh, Norm Harper, after these couple of years you've been involved in this, what are some words of wisdom or pieces of advice you would feel comfortable sharing with people? Um, the thing that I would say to, to a younger person is um, to don't be, don't be so eager to self-publish that you put the first thing you've ever made out there. Like, I'm so happy that I have a drawer full of stuff that no one will ever see that um, I look back on now and and uh, like I just cringe. You, you've got to create a lot of art and, and hone your craft and then uh, you'll you'll reach a certain place where you say, okay, this is ready to go out into the world. And, and that, you know, whether you're self-publishing or submitting your portfolio to larger publishers or, or anything like that, uh, just make stuff for yourself to start and be happy with that and then put it away and make something else. And, and, and don't, don't get lost in, in one single project being the thing that's, that's going to – like the first idea you have, uh, just understand nobody needs to ever see it, you know, and, and – Really, really hone your craft, and then, when, so when the time comes that you do put something out there, uh, it's it's going to be that much more well received, and you're going to be happy that you did it, and and really that's the test for if you've if you've really got it to go the long haul, and this isn't just like a a, a whim you've got. If you're if you're willing to to make a lot of content that no one will ever see, to to get yourself to the point that you're ready to show people, um, that that that's kind of the test if you. If you make one thing and then you don't want to make anything else, then you probably didn't want to invest your own money into self-publishing or anything like that. You know, uh, yeah. I, I think that's probably the best advice I could give anyone. If I if I could only give one piece of advice, it would be that. 
Okay, and then what is one important skill somebody should have or hone to get into self-publishing, whether it's organization or time management? What do you think the most important skill to have is? Uh, the most important skill would be, I think, organization um, and, um, you know, the ability to, to almost just make a list and be able to, to execute um, and, and do, you know, and the, the first thing on the, uh, the top of your list it should be research. And you, you, there's so many details in self-publishing that you might not think about, like ISBN numbers and, and proper, you know, UPC codes on the backs of your books so that stores will be willing to carry them. Um, go read as much as you can about other people's, you know, trials and tribulations in self-publishing and, and learn, 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 and then make your list based on that. And, you, and know that you're still going to you're still going to miss something. You're still going to mess up, at least on the first book. But if you can... Uh, if you can make a list and keep organized, and, and that's really the key, I think, to being a, an editor in the self-publishing is, you know, uh, is to be organized and, and have an artist that's hitting deadlines. And and if deadlines get missed, you know, knowing how to, okay, well, we're going to adjust the calendar, you know, to accommodate that, but we have to just keep moving forward. Uh, that that ability to organize, and my wife was a huge help there. Uh, the, the first couple of books would not have gotten out without her help. Uh, because I can be a little chaotic, but uh, that's that's vital to, to getting the book done. And so, if you can't organize, at least partner yourself with somebody who can. Yeah, would be the absolutely, takeaway. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Some someone will be willing to help you if that's, you do it. And creative types often are not. That's not their strong strongest skill set. Yeah, not to paint with too broad a brush, but yeah, that would be my experience as well. Yeah. Um, Hey, Norm, thank you for doing this. If people want to find out, I know you're not a big social media guy, but if people want to find out more about Norm Harper and Karate Pet Shop, where can they go on the interwebs and in real life? Uh, I am at that Norm Dude on Twitter. I tweet occasionally. Uh, Karate Pet Shop, at Karate Pet Shop um, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're on all that. And I at least try to keep it updated with uh, what we're doing in terms of uh, convention appearances, signing dates, and um, – also, uh, book release dates for upcoming things like Half Haven. And uh, in real life, I think we are. I think our next convention will be uh, Long Beach Comic Expo in February, and then we'll be at Emerald City. And we've got a lot of stuff uh, booked for next year. So follow us on social media, and we'll let you know where we'll be. And uh, KaratePatchUp.com has info on all our books as well. You can check us out there. Hey everybody else, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Geekish Cast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zaius. Check them out at reignofzaius.net.